Okay, so we finished Titus 2 last week. We're going to start Titus chapter 3. And I think you guys are going to find this is um, a pretty good study. It's going to be something that's helpful for our walk. Um, and as I went through this study, I couldn't help but think over and over, like, who did I used to be before I was in Christ? Who was I before I was saved? And has there been a change in who I am? Like a visible change, a spiritual change? Can people see a change? So who did I used to be? And so far, the letter of Titus has us walking through requirements for elders. It has us going through church conduct. Last week, we talked about adorning the doctrine of God, right? Putting it on, it being visible in who we are. Um, and uh, when we put something on, people see what we're wearing. So like you put on a jacket, put on the doctrine of God. People are able to see that you're a believer through your words, your actions, your love, your service, the way you are with your spouse, the way you raise your kids, all of those things. And so the question I think you need to ask yourself from last Sunday's study is, do people see you wearing the doctrine of God? There's a real call to hope in Paul's message uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's you and I brings salvation to all men. This doesn't mean everybody in the world. It means to believers, all who are in him. Jesus has come for us. He saved us. He saved us from this world. And there's a call to live like we're saved. And when you live like you're saved, there's some things that you deny. You deny ungodliness. You deny worldly desires. You live sensibly, righteously, and godly. And I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I have such an amazing hope that lives in me that is especially has grown throughout the years the realization of that hope um and yeah i go through days where i don't feel close to it i go through days where i wonder why is everything not right i go through days where i'm like why are my kids not perfect and why is my marriage not perfect and why don't we have more money and why did the car break down you know i go through all of those things um you know, they're not all magical feelings. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, right? I go through tough things, as many of you do. But I tell you what I'm really looking forward to is the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to that because I know this, because when I'm in him, knowing that my wife is saved and my kids are in him, when he comes back to redeem us, they all go get to be with him. And I get to be there to see them enter into glory with him. And I think that's just an amazing thing to know. And I think that's why families, God built the way they are. Because I think especially for dad, you get to look at your family and just have this an amazing realization like my kids are saved. They're safe. Because as protectors, one of the things we want is for our house to be safe. Right? For our Wife and kids to be able to enjoy themselves in the walls of our house. And when they are finally redeemed, God's got it all. Like they're finally safe. Um, and it's kind of like I shared with you last week about the realization that I had when I was saved. They talked to you about like God reaching into my chest and grabbing my heart and not letting it beat. And I finally just realized like I'm dead without him. Like I'm dead. I can't go on without his saving grace. So I love knowing that I'm saved and I get to share Christ with my wife, that I get to share Christ with my kids. And frankly, I love that I get to share it with all of you and that you're all willing to sit here and study with me on Sunday or 
if it's Easter and we get together, or if it's just dinner during the week, or I get to visit your kids, or whatever that thing is, have lunch with you guys, break bread. I love being able to do that with you, to be able to fellowship in the Lord, uh, because it's just, it has become my joy. And it's kind of a weird thing, because I know like 25 years ago, my joy was not hanging out with church folks eating pizza just in the name of fellowship in Jesus Christ. It was the opposite of that. It was all the ridiculous things that the world tells you are good and fun. And then at some point that realization just hit. I was like, that stuff's not fun at all. It's just destroying me. I feel dead inside. And now that I'm on the flip side of that, I really enjoy spending time with all of you. And it, it, I mean, it brings me joy. It's hard for me to even explain, to be able to study and have a cup of coffee and then go break bread with you guys is really a great joy for me. I love knowing that I get to share Christ with all of you. Today I want to talk to you about who you used to be. <clears throat> so who were you before you were saved? So we're going to read Titus 3, 1 through 3. Make a little bit of headway this morning. And Titus, excuse me, Paul wrote to Titus, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, demonstrating all gentleness to all men. For we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. That's like an awful list of things about who we used to be. His instruction to Titus is to remind believers to be subject to their rulers and their authorities. And the tense that Paul uses here is for remind is that people need to be constantly reminded of these matters. <clears throat> like believers need to be constantly reminded to submit to authority. Like over and over and over. This is funny. This is like something you would do with your kids. Paul is telling people in the church, you need to be this way all the time. A constant reminder. Um, the reminder may be one that's difficult for some people, right? Nobody likes the idea of being told that they need to be subject to their rulers. You know, that is truly not an American idea. It is a biblical idea. In America, we have a vastly different view of subject to rulers. Uh, the word subject that Paul uses is a military term to fall in line. So that's what that means. Right? It's actually similar to the way a wife is subject to her husband. To fall in line or to be orderly, to give order to things. Right? We're called to be obedient to our civil authorities. So it makes sense. Right? We follow the law. Um, if you want to dig in on that on another study, if you go to Romans 13. It gives a whole lesson on being obedient to the civil authorities. It says this in Romans 13, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Ooh. And that's hard to read because you're like, so you're telling me that if I don't subject myself to the civil authority, if I just go do whatever I want, that I'm basically heaping coals on myself? And yeah, Paul's like, yes. Yeah. You're not following in line because it's, 
it's about understanding the order of things, right? This order that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We fall under the head. Christ has established all authority. Therefore, we follow authority. Even the apostle Peter agrees with Paul here as we read in 1 Peter 2. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So remember, when we act in according with the law and the way the rulers have us act, we actually look different. We have adorned the doctrine of God. People will look at us as people who obey the law, not as people who are always pushing back against authority. Um, there's a, it's a, you know, when you listen to Peter... He's a really interesting guy to consider as following authority. Because if you've ever read Acts, Peter doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to follow authority very well, right? And if you even remember, Peter's in the garden with Jesus, the guy who's just been preaching peace to them for three years. And as soon as the uh, Roman guards come, what does Peter do? Yeah, he reaches out and cuts one of the guy's ears off. Now, I don't, I don't know a lot about uh, the old Roman sword and, and how they would have wielded it, but I'm assuming Peter wasn't trying to cut his ear off. I'm assuming he was going in to kill the guy. And then Jesus has to rebuke him right on the spot, right? So Peter wasn't falling under authority. Um, and interestingly enough, if you read Acts 4 and 5, Peter and John in Acts 4... And then Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 are recorded as disobeying civil authorities at the temple. And they were arrested for it and put in prison twice. Right? Peter was the one who was out there who they were bringing their sick and he's walking by and his shadow is healing sick people. They are ministering to people everywhere. And the local authorities are like, you can't preach out here. And they were, on, they were at the temple. They were on what's called Solomon's Portico which would have been a large outdoor area with pillars that they stood out on where people would preach and they would sell things. <clears throat> and anybody could go out there. You could preach all kinds of crazy stuff. You could sell all kinds of crazy stuff. It's most likely in the portico where Jesus flipped the tables because people were selling stuff. But the only person who was breaking the law was Peter because they wanted to stifle the gospel. But he is clearly standing against civil authority. Ooh, so now we've got, what do we do with that? We've got Christ in the, in the Bible telling us, follow civil authority, and if you don't, you are sinful. And then we got Peter breaking civil authority. How do we rectify that, right? So there's definitely other incidents of disobeying authorities as well. Exodus 1 records Pharaoh's order for all Hebrew midwives to kill the babies in Israel. Remember that? And the midwives disobeyed. Who survives that? That's really important. Moses. Moses is the one who survives that. So through their civil disobedience, we get Moses who leads them through the exodus. In Joshua 2, <clears throat> as Joshua takes the Israelites across the Jordan and they go to attack uh, the Canaanite uh, city of Jericho, there is a lady who disobeys the law there as well. Does anybody remember who she is? She's known. It is Rahab. 
and then she hides the spies. So we see her standing against the civil authority and is blessed for it. We look back at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, who were told to bow down and worship idols, and they refused to do so. And if you remember what Nebuchadnezzar did to them, where did he throw them? In a fiery furnace. And then there are three people went in the furnace, but how many people were seen in there? Four people were seen in there. And the other one is the angel of the Lord, right? So we think that's a Christophany, so that was Christ who showed up. But they wouldn't burn up. They disobeyed civil authority, and they were punished for it. So what do we learn from Paul's command? What are we called to do? Is there a call to civil disobedience? I think there is as long as it doesn't go against God's work. <clears throat> so, I'll give you a four instance. If you were told to kill your children because of population control, you can't do that. That's sinful, right? So we don't follow the authorities if it does not match up with what the Word of God tells us to do. We are called to fall in line with the local government when the local government is not Christian, not a theocracy, not that the government has to be doing everything that you want it to do. That's not what it says here. If the government asks you to do things that are against your faith, that are against the Bible, that go against the Word of God, we are called to resist that. Right? And there's good evidence, I think, even in modern culture of us doing some of these things. And, and in some case, protest, where we stand against things the government are doing, not in a civil disobedient way, but in a way that we express that our faith and our God wants things that are better for our community. I think um, the abortion uh, issue that is going on right now, where we have believers who have taken that on, uh, and they will actively protest, pray for, guide, love, and mentor young women and men you know, going into the shelters. Um, it's godly to do that because we don't want to see babies murdered. So we are being very careful to follow the laws, but we also are you know, leaning up against civil authority because we want to protect people. That's just one example. There's probably a hundred that you could go over. Excuse me. But and one of the other ones is to deny God. We will never deny God. It doesn't matter what the civil authorities say. Okay, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can pretend you're one of them. Somebody comes to your house, tells you to deny God, you can't do so. I don't know if you saw the news. In England, a lady is standing across the street from an abortion factory, and she's standing there silently, and the authorities come and ask her what she is doing. She said, I'm praying. And they say, you can't pray out loud out here. It's against lunch. I said, I'm not praying out loud. I haven't spoken a word. I'm praying inside of my head. And they arrested her. They arrested her for standing silently on the sidewalk. What? And that's it. I, and I was like, this is unbelievable. So was she being civil disobedient? Yes, because there's some sort of ordinance. But she is leaning into our creator for the well-being of children. So I think you can say... God would bless that. So <clears throat> an interesting point uh, that we should bring up here is that the rulers that Paul is referring to about being obedient to in Crete, they're not believers. So it's not like, you know, you've got believers at the helm of the local government and you're pushing back against them. These are pagans who he's telling Christians, like, be mindful of who's in charge. I put them there. Whether you agree with it or not, for my purpose, I put them there. 
So they're pagan. So it's a good reminder to be prayerful for all of our leaders as well. When we studied 1 Timothy 2, we are called to pray for our leaders. We must do that, right? The list that Paul gives here is not one that's comprehensive, right? Um, They seem like attributes of a good citizen who represents Christ in all they do. These are all attributes that believers should exhibit in their daily walk. And from this reading, the question we can pose is, are we, if we're calling ourselves believers, are we, if we're calling ourselves believers, exhibiting these traits? Subject to rulers, to authorities, obedient, ready for good work. Um, Don't slander anybody, be peaceable, considerate, demonstrating all gentleness to men. So are you exhibiting all of these if you're a believer? Because that's what Paul says. Look, this is what a believer looks like. Do this. And we definitely live in a society where disobedience to authority is the norm. It's like become the thing that people do. It's protest. They protest everything. They break every law. They just, it's like people just do it to do it now. There's like no cause. You see the interviews, like there'll be kids out in the street yelling at everybody that they're all uh, Nazis and, and they're part of the patriarchy. And it's like, watch interviewers go in and say, Tell me what a Nazi is. And they have no idea. They're just repeating what their friends around them say. So civil disobedience has become, you know, a, a, a popular pastime. It just doesn't even make any sense. But we should always be ready to do good work for the gospel. Don't be slanderous. Be peaceable, considerate, and demonstrate gentleness to all men. There's currently a movement in our country that claims to be Christian. I'm not going to dive into this real big. But definitely does not exhibit all these attributes, particularly pertaining to obedience to authorities. So I would encourage you to be mindful of who you listen to and who you partner with, particularly in politics. Because there's one side of our political faction that it believes they're the Christian right, but they absolutely act other than what Christians are because there's not a very loving approach to things. They're very slanderous. And uh, it's obvious through many of their actions that They're not exhibiting Christ-like love and patience and peace and kindness towards people. So be careful who you partner with just because they say they're believers. doesn't necessarily mean they are. So verse 3, which is our last verse, I find really interesting because of the way Paul words this. And the way he words it is he's not afraid to tell us how we should act, believe, love. But in this case, Paul is saying to believers that we were once this sort of person. You were once this kind of person. A second interesting point is that Paul does not accuse them of these things. Not you used to be this kind of person. Instead, he puts himself in the category. He states, we used to be foolish. And you can see towards the end, he says, spending our life in malice and envy. So Paul's putting himself in the group. He's like, look, we were all this person before. You know, he's not like, I'm, you know, I'm the apostle. You guys used to be horrible. He's like, I'm one of you. I'm have, I've had these same problems in my life. He's never afraid to point out that he too is a sinful man. So foolish, disobedient, deceived. <clears throat> deceived is a great word to describe why a person would be foolish or disobedient. Because they're deceived, right? When we're deceived, we're led astray. You are led into something that's not healthy or good for you. Something convinces you that you're going in the right direction, doing right things, acting or believing correctly, but you're being deceived. You're being led astray. We're deceived in many ways. We're deceived by the flesh. 
right? Our, our, our body, our sinfulness is going to deceive us. We're deceived by false prophets. Paul has told us we're deceived by spirits. Jeremiah even tells us this. Have you ever heard this before? Follow your heart. Anybody ever heard that? Follow your heart. At, at a debate in a parking lot after church one day with a pastor because he told people in church to follow their heart. And I, I like, this was my insensitive side, right? Where I, just, I can't help myself. I've got to address this. I go to him. I'm like, what does Jeremiah say about your heart? He says that our heart deceives us when you follow your heart. Because I don't know what the difference is between, you know, if I had bad pizza for lunch and follow my heart. Or if I'm just having, you know, extreme passionate feelings for something or follow my heart. And I think that's why God is careful. So follow your heart. What does that mean? It could change tomorrow. So don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Follow Christ. Christ will give you the truth. Your heart will lie to you because it's part of your flesh. And I know we could get in this argument about, well, he took away my heart of stone. He gave me a heart of flesh. He's pierced my heart. He's changed my heart. I get it. Jeremiah is clear. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. He won't lie to you in this, right? So foolish, disobedient, deceived. So we are deceived in many ways. Another one he talks about is being enslaved, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Or passions and pleasures is another way to talk about it. <clears throat> so before you were a believer, you would strive to please yourself. And I, I could make the case with you. You could tell me how benevolent you were and I could lead it back to you and show you that made you feel good. It's about you. But now that you're in Christ, your desire should be to please the Lord, right? Lust or passion is our desire that we have for the things of the world. And pleasures comes from a word that you've all heard before. The word he uses for pleasure is hedone. Does anybody know what word we get from hedone? Hedonism. We get the word hedonism. Right Or to be pleasured. To be hedonistic is to heap massive pleasure on one's self. And that can be in a good way or a bad way. That's used both ways. It's often used in modern culture um, in a lustful, sexual type manner. So when you are not in Christ, you are a slave, Paul says, to these things. So go back to our study a few weeks ago. We're all slaves to something. We are all slaves to something. Romans 6.16 says you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So we are all slaves to something. You know. And some of these you may disagree with. You may not think that in your former life you spent your life in malice and envy. You may think, well, that wasn't really me. I didn't spend my life in malice and envy. Maybe I wasn't despicable, or maybe I didn't hate everybody that's around me. That's not really describing me. But you may not be seeing um, that what he means by malice is really just the state of wickedness that you lived in. So if you just lived your life pleasing yourself, that's malice. It's wickedness. You are living a life pleasing to one's own flesh and not for Christ. And when you're not in Christ, your state of being is wickedness. Your envy is holding grudges or your jealousy. Being despicable is being hateful. And I know that nobody likes to consider themselves hateful because it's very hard to look at yourself and think, I don't really hate anybody. And right now, playing out in the world, it's like one of the catchphrases. Hate speech. It's hate speech. You're just hateful. Which is interesting because they have flipped the definition of love and hate. 
to attack people who love them and want better for them and then call them hateful. When the reality is, the hatefulness is, I want to please myself and because you won't just let me be the hedonistic, self-pleasing, sinful, society-ruining pagan that I want to be, you're, I'm going to call you hateful. It's a very interesting way that they've twisted the language on us. So um, I don't, there's, you don't need to be careful in this. Love people honestly. You know, and I think when we love people, especially in our family or our neighbors enough, sometimes it's like, I, I need Jesus. That's what you need. Whatever you're going through right now, you need Jesus. And they may even give you the, you know, the, the sideboard look, but you know that that's what they need because you're going to move them out of this, what you used to be into what you are now. And you can see that, like, I can see where you are. You're in the, what I used to be. And I'm, Jesus is going to change you into what I am now, which is saved, righteous, right? A new creation. We're called to love our neighbors, to desire that they are saved by Christ. Right? right before that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13. You've all heard this before. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love's not jealous, etc. <clears throat> right before that famous uh, passage, Paul wrote this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. When we're not in Christ, we seek to serve and please ourselves. This is why love is that key word in this. When we're not in Christ, we, we seek to serve ourselves, pleasure ourselves. When we truly love people, we will unashamedly share the truth with them. Right? When we truly love people, we will share the truth with them. And if you don't love people, it just profits you nothing. Whatever you're doing, isn't, it's no good. It doesn't get you anywhere. You can do all the good works you want, you get nothing. You can even say you believe, you get nothing. We have got to love people. And this is what Paul means by hating one another. Not loving each other enough to share the gospel and follow through with disobedience and service. You might as well just tell them you hate them. That's kind of a difficult one to get your head around. Imagine for a second, I'm going to paint a picture for you. There's somebody in your family whom you love and they are not walking with Christ and you know they're on the road to disaster. And you're nice to them. Maybe you buy them a Christmas gift or give them a Christmas card. Maybe you have them over for dinner. You love them, right? I'm doing air quotes for you. You love them. You're, you're cool to them. You're kind to them. You treat them like family. But you know they're not going to heaven and you don't share the gospel with them, you might as well just tell them you hate it. Because if you love them, and you know how to get into eternity with the Father, you'll tell them. You have to. What would hold you back from having the keys to eternity and not share them with the people that you love? Why would you hold that back? What would stop you from telling them that you want to be in eternity with them. 
really important. This is what Paul means by hating one another. See, there's really good news in this message from Paul, though. He says that we were once these things. We were once in that world. We were once that type of person. The word he uses is pate. It's at one time in your past. It's been set aside. It's been washed away. It's no longer there. You are no longer that person. If you're in Christ, you're no longer foolish, but you are now wise. You are no longer disobedient or deceived, but you are led by the Holy Spirit. You're no longer a slave to your lusts and your pleasures. You're a slave to Christ, which means you've been set free from all of that. Free from the bonds of this world, which leads to your sanctification, which leads to eternal life. You no longer have hate. Conversely, you can't help but love people. You can't help but want to fellowship with believers. You can't help but want to serve people. You can't help but want to raise your kids in a godly home. You can't help but tell that family member who you haven't told yet, I love you enough that I'm going to make this an uncomfortable situation and tell you you need Christ in your life or you're not going into heaven with me. You are going to hell. You are going to die in your sin. It's, that is the love. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, things have, new things have come. He makes you a new creation. And I can tell you from my own personal testimony, from my own personal walk, that being saved by Jesus Christ will change your life. It will change who you are. It has changed me drastically. I didn't do it. I couldn't have done it. I was on the road to destruction and to hell. I was destroying my mind, my body, my heart, my relationships, the people around me, my job. Everything was being torn down by me, not by God. He wasn't letting it happen to me. I was actively resisting. I was actively doing it. It was me tearing it apart. Having this hope inside of me has changed my perspective of the whole world. It has changed the realization of who I was before just becomes more and more evident to me as time goes by. The more I look back and see how bad I was, because I'm sure we've all had this conversation with somebody before, but they're a good person. I mean, I wasn't like full of this uh, hatred to the people around me that I was just like, ah, tearing them down. I was doing it in all the subversive ways that we tear people down. Not being a good friend, not being a good son, being a drunkard, you know, being addicted to the things that we shouldn't be addicted to, whether it means drugs, booze, sex, all of those things. Not being a good employee. It's become so much more evident to me as time goes by how bad I was. And I was a slave to these things. That's really what it comes down to. I was a slave to it all. But now I'm free in Christ, which is so <clears throat> amazing because as I grew in my faith, I was able to continue to share my faith with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, at work, everywhere I go. And it's just like I went on a work trip with Chad a week and a half ago, and we are talking about Jesus with people that we work with everywhere we go. It is like the coolest thing ever, right? True freedom free from trying to please my flesh and free to love and serve my creator. That's where I am now. It has taken my eyes off the world and focused my eyes on him. It's given me freedom to love my wife sacrificially and to love and serve my children. Freedom to love and serve you. 
all of you and share the truth and the fullness of the gospel with all of you. It's given me hope and an everlasting life spent pleasing the Lord. That's what that freedom is. It's really, it's liberating. Like it's psychologically liberating. It liberates your heart. It feels better. It brings you joy. If you have given your life to him and you recognize who you used to be, it should be hard to look back on who you were. It should be hard to look back and be like, ooh, man, I, I kind of, I could have done that better. I had a, about six years ago, five years ago, I had a rough, like, six or seven months where in that period I got three phone calls from the West Coast from friends who were telling me that guys I did platoons with had killed themselves. Having been a believer now for a number of years, one of the things that crossed my mind, by the time the third one came, I was like, I remember sitting on the couch next to Carol, it was very late at night. This old buddy of mine calls who I haven't spoken to in years and tells me, and I was like sat back on the couch and it just rushed over me in an instant. What if I had only shared the gospel with that guy? Would he not have taken his own life and left behind his wife and his kids? But I didn't. When I look back on who I used to be, it's like so evident that I'm free now. And it's so evident who I used to be. And I'll say this, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ and you realize the bondage you're in, I encourage you to pray that Christ would rescue you from the bonds, rescue you from your slavery, that he would save you from the slavery you're in and make you free, like I am free, because I am free. It is amazing how much joy it brings me. And as we're encouraged in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back. You are not a slave. Live like you're free. Look at that old stuff and set it aside. It's not you anymore. Like Paul says, that, that's who we used to be. We're not that person anymore. Live like you're free and share the truth of the gospel with people because they need him like you need him. And you just have the realization now of how amazing it is to be free in him. So share that good news with somebody that you love today. Father God, I am thankful for you in all things. I'm thankful for this church family and the time we've spent together. Lift up all of our prayers that we mentioned before we start and just ask you to answer them in your amazing and sovereign way. We know that you love us and we know that you are going to do and have what is best for us, Lord. Prayerful for all of our families as we go out into our week this week, that you would help us to be free in our community, sharing you with all. We ask that you bless us as we go in the name of our holy and precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 